0: All right, well, we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, uh, we're going to be in the book of James as uh, we continue on. We're going to talk a little bit about the end of chapter one, finish that off and move into chapter two, praise the Lord, um, and uh, uh, kind of uh, move into um, one of the bigger issues that uh, was really plaguing these uh, specific group of believers, specifically Jewish believers, Um, and, uh, we do find that it's also another issue that happens today, uh, very frequently and is, um, again, something that, uh, God does not really tolerate. Um, he, it's something that he very clearly has made, uh, known throughout scripture, uh, that he is, uh, not that kind of God. And, uh, with that understanding of who he is, and I like this part about the James is understanding who God is makes us or should if you will move us to be the Christians that mirror what God is doing um his attributes and uh and I'm saying the ones that we can use uh are ones that we should be using too uh you know as an example when we're talking about things of uh say, um, God's forgiveness. We as believers should be exercising that forgiveness according to Ephesians chapter four. And the standard of that forgiveness is God's, not man's, not the three strikes you're out rule, but God's. And, uh, those are some things that we're, you know, we're going to take a look at with this principle. Um, and again, uh, understanding the context of who this is written to. This is obviously written to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. So we're talking to Jewish believers here. Um, and uh one of the problems that they were struggling with. And again, when we're talking about scattered abroad, we're talking about throughout what was the known world at the time. And that's something that's very important to understand is that this letter was written and transcribed and sent to multiple different churches not just one group like say colossians or uh, romans or ephesians this was sent to a large group of individuals throughout various different areas so we're going to take that in mind look at a couple of things uh, regarding that but let's start off with a word of prayer uh, and then we'll get into the message, uh, the lesson this evening. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the time to be here. Thank you again for an opportunity to study your word, Lord. I'm just so thankful and so grateful that uh, you are a God that uh, loves us and cares for us, uh, has preserved your word for us and given it to us, and that we can learn about you, we can learn about uh, what pleases you, learn about um, how we can... Um, uh, truly, if you will, be uh, individuals that bring you glory, honor, and praise uh, rather than just guessing in this life and hoping for the best. I thank you, Lord, that you give, yours, give us your Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us in that. And I pray that, uh, Lord, tonight you would just continue to speak with us and show us these principles, uh, that we would hide them in our heart, use them in such a way that we would bring you that glory. Thank you again for those that are here this evening, and I pray, Lord, that, uh, you just, uh, bless them, um, as, uh, they've endeavored to come out here and to receive something from you. And these things I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So in the last part of chapter one, we kind of uh, began talking about some of the how-to part, uh, specifically the how-to in regards to, uh, being hearers and doers. And this is an important principle, obviously, is we don't want to just be somebody that listens and never does what we're supposed to do. Um, you know, Scripture is written in such a way that, uh, yes, we can listen and we should listen, but we're also supposed to do what God tells us to. Uh, it does us no good if we sit there and listen and then just completely ignore that uh that is something that god uh specifically says he dislikes uh, he considers that sin um, and uh you know obviously it's disobedience it's uh not being done by faith because faith cometh by hearing we 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 understand those principles uh, so when we talk about these in verses uh, 19 through 27, uh, where he's talking about being doers, uh, he walked through and he goes through and we talked about wrath and talked about uh, being swift to hear, slow to speak, uh talking about the wrath of man. But in verse uh, 22, he says, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves for if there be any hearer of the word and not a doer he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass like a mirror if you will for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and again that law of liberty we're talking about the word of god uh, and continueth therein he is he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So, we, we, we see how he, he, he closes out this chapter, and I'm just gonna mention this as we're gonna move into chapter two shortly. Um, He talks about keeping ourselves unspotted from the world and talks about controlling the tongue. And these two points, he begins to really develop in the rest of the book. Chapter three, we know develops a lot about the tongue and what we say and what we speak. In chapter two, we develop a lot more of the how to part of it, uh, again, about what we do versus what we hear. Uh, again, also along the same lines of what we see and how we judge it um, and what we do with that. Um, we go to chapter four and we find a lot of things having to deal with uh, lust and sin and causing of problems. Uh, and again, those are things that we're talking about being unspotted from the world, our actions, our deeds, what we do. Uh, because again, we don't want the influence of the world to come into our, 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 our if you will, our lives to manipulate us to do something that is against God's word. because again, we, we, in verse one of chapter two, and I know I'm kind of skipping ahead here a little bit, but bear with me, says, "My brethren have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory with respect of persons. Now this is important because again he's talking about the faith and how it is being exercised. This is the main thrust of what a lot of the book of James is about, the faith and what you're doing with it. How do you show it? How do you demonstrate it? Uh, what is a, a, a manner in which you should conduct yourself faithfully? And one of the things that we find here is he's saying your faith should not be polluted with man's, if you will, influence. Because if we're talking about respecter of persons, we're talking about preferring one person over another, listening to one over another, and that's a problem because it can cloud our judgment. It can cloud how we discern things. It can muddy the waters and cause us to err in our judgment. And that's what God specifically does not want us to do. We want to be perfect and pure in our judgments and what we do. They should match what God says and we'll get to that in lord willing but in verse 22 where we kind of left off a little bit about being doers of the word and not hearers only here is the issue that happens if we are an individual that is going to say well I'm going to listen to the word of god I'm going to you know the word of god is important to me but we fail to act upon what we hear there is a deceitful spirit that that that, that will influence us And it's our own. Because he says right there, he says, deceiving your own selves. Uh, Keep your place there and just flip over to the book of Galatians really quickly. Uh, Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 in, um, oh, verse 6, let's pick up there. He says, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things talking about how we go about communicating. In verse 7, he says, be not deceived. Now, this is a verse that we've we heard a lot. A lot of us haven't memorized. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now again, he says in verse 8, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap correction, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. And I like how he kind of uh, you know ends this thought a little bit in in verse ten, as we therefore have or excuse me, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Now that, that that right there is a Christian mantra, if you ever wanted one. If you want to know exactly what God wants you to do and what His expectations of you are, it's right there. Do good unto all men, especially the brethren. Do them good; don't do them bad. Because look, we can we we can do bad. Have you ever been? I mean, back in the day, you remember back in the day when you used cash to buy things? <laughs> Gone are those days, right? Um, I, I, and and I've. You know, I I remember, you know, being in the Safeway and I'd be buying something and um, I would get the wrong change back. I'd be like, I go through in my head and you gave me too much change. And they would look at me like, are you nuts? Like kick it and run, you know, (laughs) that's their mindset. But, you know, you give it back to them and they're like, oh, thank you. You know, that would have messed up my till and I would have, you know, gotten written up or whatever. So on and so forth. Something rings up incorrectly. I mean, you, you know, you're, you're watching things go through and you see something go through. Um, and it's, uh, uh, um, you know, you, you saw a sign that said it was $5 and it rings up for $10. You're like, ah, 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 ah wait, wait a second. But if you see something for $10 and it rings up $5, what do you do? Silence, right? You should say something. You should say, "Well, I, that price tag said ten dollars." We got to be faithful in those little things, and even that small of a little thing—that—that—that—that's that, a big thing to God. That's a big thing to God. Faithful in those small little things. People will sit there and they'll they'll try to justify and say, well, you know, small little white lies aren't that big of a... No, they are. They're a huge deal. As a matter of fact, God considers it an abomination over there in Proverbs chapter 6. So we should take it very seriously. So when we get to this where he's talking about be not deceived, he's talking about deceiving ourselves. We shouldn't let anyone else deceive us. Above all, we should never deceive ourselves. Because the worst lie that you'll ever believe is the lie that you tell yourself and believe it. That's a problem. Whether it's overconfidence or pride or whatever it is that that it influenced in any way, shape, or form, there's a deceitfulness in the spirit about it. So as God's talking about reaping and sowing, talking about specifically things that, you, you know, if you will, consequences... And there are good consequences and there are bad consequences. Good consequences are are the ones that we we want. We want to receive the blessings. We want to receive those things that are of God. We, 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 We want to go that direction. We don't like to receive the bad consequences. That's one of the real reasons behind a lot of guilt and shame is because of the consequences not necessarily that, that, that we've sinned against God. It's the Cain mentality. Cain, where's your brother? I don't know. My, my brother's keeper? Yes. The, by the way, the short answer with that was yes. And, 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 you know, God's saying, hey, his blood's crying out to me. Notice that Cain didn't even try to defend himself. He didn't, you know, well, no, he tripped over a rock and hit his head. Uh, One of the sheep threw it, Um, you know, (laughs) didn't get enough grass that day. I mean, you know, uh, it's kind of hard to try to blame someone else, but I mean, there was other people around at that point in time because obviously Cain had a wife and so on and so forth. But um, and and Cain was complaining about that, that whoever sees me is going to kill me. But the whole concept was, is he says, it says that his punishment was greater than he could bear. It's almost like his punishment was greater than the sin. I don't know, dude. You committed cold-blooded murder out of hatred. That's murder one. That's the big one. That's the one where we, you know, you put people. They don't put them to death anymore. They put them put them away for life. And then eventually they go. Well, maybe we should give him parole now. Uh whatever. Don't get me started on the law. But, you know, again, there's consequences. And we deceive ourselves in those consequences. We deceive ourselves thinking that there isn't going to be consequences. We deceive ourselves into thinking that I can get away with it. We deceive ourselves into thinking that, you know, hey, there isn't going to be a huge impact. Nobody's really going to care. It's not that big of a deal. Well, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. In the eyes of God, it is. So when we take a look at what's going on here uh, back over in James chapter one, he's saying, look, you know, in the same principle, there can be deceit, but here is this deceitfulness to ourselves because we are deceiving ourselves to think that we can only hear without being impacted and influenced in such a way that we would do. Look, if the word of God how can I phrase this? The word of God is important to us. Amen. Uh, the word of God, we understand, is from the Lord himself. Amen. You guys are start, starting to like not answer me because, you know, I'm setting you up. <laughs> I mean, we understand these principles. We understand its importance. We understand that this is the creator of the universe. He wrote this down for us so that we would read it and know about it. And it's pertinent as it was then, as it is today. We understand these principles. We believe these principles. So why in the world would we deceive ourselves to think it's not important enough to do what God says? So when we start taking a look at the impact that, uh, that, 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 uh, Christ had in the individuals in the Gospels, when He would go and He would heal them, uh, the lepers, they, they go and they're excited, and, uh, the one that comes back and worships, I mean, you know, the blind man that gets healed and, and, uh, you know, the maniac of Gadara and all these people, and some of them He tells them to be quiet and some of them, uh, um, the, he tells them to go tell certain people, uh, but regardless of what happens, there's an impact in their lives and they go and they tell, look at what God has done for us, for me. Look at what God has done. Look at this miracle. And to a degree as a Christian, we should always have, if you will, that zeal, look at what God has done for me. Look at what God has put down in his word. Whenever we get something from the Word of God, when we're reading it and we see something on that page and it leaps out to us and it speaks to us and and, and very clearly, it's the Holy Spirit guiding our thought processes, saying, "Look, this is how it needs to be and, and whether there's conviction that comes or whether there's rejoicing that comes, whatever spectrum you know portion of the spectrum it's in in our response. There should be something that is done with what God has said. God's word isn't meant to sit idle. And do nothing. And this becomes an important principle that that, that James is trying to get through to these individuals, these believers so that they would begin acting upon what God has told them to do. Now, that is the principle of faith. That's the principle of faith. Hearing what God said and then doing it. Isn't that what Abraham did? Isn't that what Jacob did? A big bug, whatever that is. Um, Whatever... You know, whichever person you choose at a scripture that did something because God said, how about Rahab the harlot? Just go ahead and hang, a you know, a rope out the window and you'll be fine. Could you imagine the thought of that? Wait a second. What's going to happen? Well, we're going to attack the town. Oh, okay. And then what? We're going to destroy it. You're like, Okay. And you just want me to hang a rope out the window and everything's gonna be fine? Yeah. Yeah. Just hang that out the window. You'll be fine. No problem. Somebody told you to do that as they were coming in and they were gonna burn down like the city of Ridgefield. And they said, just, just hang a, you know, scarlet thread out your, 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 your window. You'll be fine. You might want to take a little more precautions. But you know what, Rahab? She's like, no, I believe it. I believe it. She heard what she needed to do, and she went and did it. Could you imagine what was going on in her mind when they started marching around that place? And then the trumpets start blowing, and then all of a sudden everything starts shaking, and everything starts falling down except hers. I mean, you're watching your neighbor's house go boom, down to the ground. You look over here, boom, down to the ground. Peek your head out the door. The one's behind you, boom, down to the ground. And you're sitting there going, oh. They didn't even use anything other than that was the power of God. What did she do? She exercised faith. So when we hear something from the word of God, we should act upon it. Sometimes it's an immediate response. Sometimes it's a response that may take a while to do. I mean, you know, Noah, as an example, he didn't build that thing in a day. That took a few years. (laughs) So when we understand that concept, there's a continual process. It doesn't just stop. God tells us to do something. He expects us to continue forward in it. Regardless of whatever circumstances happen. Regardless of who falls around you. Regardless of 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 what, you know, goes off in your life. Regardless of all of those situations. God still has this expectation. Because this is given without caveat. And if you get down here to where he's talking about, you know, the the forgetfulness of man, he he equates it to the person that hears and then fails to do as somebody that looks in the mirror and they go, oh, yeah, they kind of check themselves out and then they walk away. And I don't remember what they look like. When you go and you get ready in the morning or get ready in the afternoon or get ready in the evening, depending on whenever you get ready to go out and do something or whatever you're going to do, you look in the mirror. You make sure, you know, as we get older, we start plucking the hairs. You know, hair hair grows where hair shouldn't be. <laughs> you start removing that stuff. The hair Where hair was, there's no hair anymore. <laughs> you know, whatever may happen, regardless of that, when we look in the mirror, how often do you think and go back to that moment in the day? I don't. I don't. It, today, I, I, you know, I walked, walked into, uh, you know, bathroom, looked in the mirror for a moment, and I was like, oh wow, I got a little bit of that whipped cream from my coffee on my beard here. I looked at that, and I was like, oh, well, I need to make sure that I, you know, wash that off. And I walked out to go do something else, and guess what I did? I forgot about it. I forgot about it. Walk past the mirror and I'm like, "Oh, I did, well, I didn't get that. Right? You better get that now, you know, and take care of it. Otherwise, I'm going to forget again." So this is the response that God wants us to do is is we see here is something immediate so that we don't forget this. So that when we hear the word of God, <coughs> excuse me, we respond immediately. When, when Abraham heard the word of God saying, go, what did he do? Go. There's a message that I was playing around with a while, uh, a while ago, um, talking about uh, some of the discipleship stuff that went on in scripture with, uh with Jesus Christ. And you remember the, the one guy that uh, when he said it could follow me, And his response was, let me bury my dead first. God's response, he expected an immediate response. Leave all and follow. That's what he was asking for at that point in time. And there may be cases and times where, where, where we need to do that. There may be cases and times where we have to be so if you will, trusting an adept in faith with the Word of God that when God says for us to do something and it means we have to drop everything and do it, we should. That should be the response. But again, sometimes we deceive ourselves thinking we have more time. Well, as he talks about in the book of James, you're not guaranteed any time. You're not guaranteed the next five minutes. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed anything. The only thing that you are, that you are guaranteed of is that if you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, is you have eternal home in heaven praise the Lord for that. So that if you do wind up not having any more time here on earth, you now get to spend the rest of your time in eternity. Praise God. Oh, the, Just the thought of that is just absolutely phenomenal. But still, there may be missed opportunities of service. There may be missed opportunities of service. So we have to be careful with this. As we, as we look at this a little bit further, going down here, uh, into verse, um, 25, he says, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. And again, as we talked about the word of God, as it is the law of liberty, it's written down and gives us liberty. And, you, and note, he says it's perfect. It's perfect. God's word is perfect and pure. You know what? You have to believe that by faith. You have to believe that by faith. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're going to run into some problems. Because if you don't believe it's perfect and pure, how do you know he got salvation right? So we've got to understand that principle. God said in (laughs) Psalms chapter 12 that he's purified it. Over and over again, he talks about how it's perfect, how it is preserved how it's inspired, all of these things. But here he's he's saying, when we take a look into the Word of God, when we take a look into that and we start, if you will, searching it out, studying it, investigating, um, and and doing what we're supposed to do, as it says, study to show thyself approved unto God, it says, and continue with therein. Look, whatever it is, and I'll make this clear, we've got some things that we have to do when it comes to to um, our Christian life with the Word of God. Not only do we have to be listening to it in the form of preaching and teaching, but we're also supposed to read it, not just to get through it, but to read it and retain it, memorize it, meditate on it, and study it. There are some things that need to be studied in scripture. Whatever it is you sh- that you study should have an application and do something for you and draw you nearer to God. As an example, as he talked about up there a little bit more or he was talking about those people that were uh um uh, you know um uh oh so, uh, you know, later, sorry, another portion of scripture where he's talking about individuals that are are, are worshiping angels and looking into the, the spirit world and trying to study stuff that is, if you will, extra scriptural, that is outside of scripture. You spend all your time doing that, all that's going to do is puff up your flesh. Studying the word of God, that's something totally different. Because that knowledge that you receive is supposed to be let back out. Because as he says in 1 Corinthians 13, what does he say? He says, knowledge puffeth up. Charity edifies. So when we receive knowledge, when we receive instruction from the word of God, and we receive knowledge of the scriptures, knowledge of who God is, knowledge of his will, we are supposed to take that and understand it and how it applies to us specifically, and with wisdom use it adeptly in our judgment and our discernment in such a way that it demonstrates the glory of God. So understanding that concept here, he's saying, look, when you start looking into the word of God and you study the word of God, as one of the things you do with the Word of God, there should be something that you do that's going to continue through the rest of your life. It's not just a study to say, well, studied that and moving on. No, it's supposed to be used to either teach somebody else or it's supposed to be used to help edify somebody else. There's a purpose behind it. There's a purpose why God has us learn the things that we learn in the timing that he has us learn them. Because I will say this, not everything is revealed to us immediately. You know, when we trusted Christ as our Savior, we didn't get a USB download and a SIM card planted in the back of our mind. And all of a sudden, we've got all knowledge about everything when it comes to to God and, and Scripture. And when you go through and you read Scripture and then you go back through and you read it again and you go through and you start studying it again and then you pick up on a phrase that you, you, you've you read and you've read through your Bible a couple of times by this point and you go, wait, wait oh, wow, how did I not see that? Mm-hmm. Well, the Holy Spirit didn't show it to you. Or you weren't paying attention. Right. I'm, I'm giving us a, bit, a little bit of a bit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. But, but the idea is is that God doesn't reveal everything to us all at once. He told the disciples that. He says, I have things to tell you, but you can't handle it right now. <laughs> could you imagine if you all of a sudden knew everything that was going to happen, everything that was going to go on, or you'd explode. Yeah. You would just, just, I, I could just see myself at one point in time, if that was there, I'd just see myself sitting in a chair and then all of a sudden just going poo into like powder, <laughs> nothing left. It's just too great for us. Yeah. Praise God that he teaches us little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit. When a child's a day old, you don't teach him how to drive. He's got to grow into that. Just like we have to grow into that. Mm-hmm. Right? Right? I mean, you know, by the time they get 10 years old, maybe they've dabbled around. Maybe they drove drove the truck over a field or something like that or played around or something. My dad would have us do that. And, you know, we'd be driving along going to school or something like that. And we would be a long stretch of highway. And he'd like, okay, grab the wheel. You're steering. And I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, he's got the gas and everything. And, of course, he's got his hand right there at the wheel. He's always got his hand on the wheel. Never took off the wheel. He's just got it right there so that he can immediately respond when needed. But I felt, oh, man, the power. I'm driving. No, you're not. <laughs> you're steering a car. I mean, you know, you you, you you teach it gently to the point of where it comes time to get the, the driver's license you go in, you get to your education and you get the test and you pass the test and the written test and then you got to pass the the driving test and then everything's like, "Oh, yay, you passed." And then you start driving for real. And then what happens? You learn by experience. You learn what hydroplaning is the first time you do it. You 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 learn that uh there's certain laws of physics that cannot be undone. As you attempt to corner at certain speeds, <laughs> you know, that whole body in motion will remain in motion in that same general direction. You know, th- things of that nature. You begin to learn laws of physics and you know, sit there and go, man, I really wish I paid more attention. But the, the end result is, is we grow into those things. So when I see that word where he says it in, in, in verse 25, continueth, it's a continual process. There is not one person on the face of the earth that has come to that point where they know everything about the Bible. Nor will there ever be. I don't know everything about the Bible. There's stuff I read in Ezekiel and I go, what? 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 I'm just keep reading. There's stuff in Revelation that I'm just going. I have no idea why. Well, I don't plan on being around for that. (laughs) So you know, if uh, if you want to be around for that, you have a conversation with God and say, "Hey, I'd like to be exempt from the rapture, please." (laughs) That's not going to go over. But the idea and the concept is, look, we're going to continue to grow. You never stop learning. I don't care how old we get, how how much hoary hair we have, we are not going to come to the point of where we have all knowledge. Not until we're with Christ. But when we take a look at something like this, and I see that word continue, I see a continual pattern of growth. The more you look into the word of God and that perfect law of liberty, the more you continue in that, as he says here, um, that person is going to be blessed in their deed. Now, I want you to see that in verse 25, where he says, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, He, not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Not just blessed, but blessed in his deed. What is a deed? A deed is something that is done. That sounds weird. (laughs) But when you do something, you are doing deeds. There are certain things that, that, that we do that... If you will, and you look at it as as you know actions, as you look at it as physical things that we do with our bodies, there's certain deeds that we do. Somebody does a dirty deed. That's somebody that robs a bank, somebody that knocks over you know knocks over the liquor store, somebody that you know pulls a gun on somebody and mugs them, uh, whatever it may be. And I'm using those as extremes. Those are bad things. Now if we want to be blessed in what we do, and we should desire that as a believer, we should desire the blessing of God on everything we do. If you can't ask God to bless what you're doing, then you ought not be doing it. End of story. If you can't go to God and, you know, right before you do it, say, Lord, would you please bless this? You know, I've looked at your word. I've gone through it. I've studied it. I know what your will is. I know exactly what you want me to do. When I'm doing this, I, I Lord, I just want to be bring you glory, honor, and praise. I just want your blessing upon this. You should do that with what you do. You, you should, I mean, you should do that with work. You should do that with uh getting in the car. You should do that with, you know, whatever it may be. We, because again, then again, as we talk about in Colossians, that puts Christ as the preeminent. You're going to him first. But if you want to be blessed in your deeds, there's a certain way that God talks about that. Go over to Psalm 1. Let's just take a look at this really quickly. Psalm chapter 1. One of many passages, one of many passages talking about how we can have these blessings in our life. Now, when I talk about being blessed in our deeds, I'm not talking about, you know, you put $5 into the lotto machine and you win a million dollars. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about something of that nature. I'm talking about the Lord's blessing on what you do. The Lord, (coughs) if you will, saying, Uh, that's exactly what I want done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, as he said of Christ, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. We want God to be pleased with what we do, right? Well, that's his blessing. In Psalm chapter one, it says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of sinners nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he need to meditate day and night. So what is the principle that we find here with Psalm chapter 1? The principle that we find with Psalm chapter 1 is this, that if you spend more time in the word of God and less time with worldly principles, there will be blessings of what you do. Yeah. Now, again, I'm not talking about prosperity. But I will tell you this. If you don't spend all your money on gambling, then you won't have to worry about paying a gambling debt. I mean, that's kind of simple. It's kind of simple. When we take a look at here, you know, it, we, it, it, it's, I mean, it, it's evident. You'll have money to be able to spend on what you need, the provisions, food and raiment, the basics. And aren't you glad that God blesses you with a little bit more, that you're able to actually pay for rent or pay for a house and pay for a car, pay for the gas for the car or the electricity for the car, in my case, um, or, 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 you know, or whatever it may be. And God blesses you and he, you get things that you don't even deserve. And the Lord just gives that to you. And that's a blessing. But I'm not talking about working for the blessings. I'm talking about the blessings as in we're we're blessing the Lord with what we're doing because it pleases him and brings him glory, honor, and praise. And we, in turn, become blessed by that. The greatest blessing you'll ever get is knowing that you pleased your Savior, by the way. Not the accolades of men. Not the laurels that are temporary that, that, that Paul talks about, that temporary crown. We're talking about the stuff that God looks at and says, that's what I want. That's what I want you to do. That's exactly what you need to do with your life. In Psalm chapter 1, he makes this clear. And, and how, do we, how do we avoid doing those things where we're the forgetful hearer? By what we are listening to. This individual that's the opposite here, the person that is not blessed, is the person that is walking in the counsel of the ungodly. What does that mean? That means they've listened to somebody that is ungodly, and that ungodliness has influenced the counsel, and that counsel has influenced that person. They listen to the wrong thing. They listen to the wrong thing. Standeth in the way of sinners. That means that's the direction that the sinner told them to go. Wait a second, we're only supposed to receive one voice. And it's, and it's not the lady in the car or on the phone that's given us directions. It's God. He's the one that directs us. He's the one that guides us. He's the one that puts us in the path. He's the one that tells us the way to go. All of those things. This guy right here, he is standing in the way of sinners. That means that he listened to what the sinner told him to do, and he is found right there where there's a sinful path. Or sitteth in the seat of the scornful. That means he's sitting there having fellowship with someone else that scorns the word of God. Bible's pretty clear. You don't want to be around a squirner. You don't want to be around a squirner. Somebody that discounts God at every turn. That that that's not somebody you want to hang around. You don't want to hang around somebody that sits there and goes, Pfft, "Yeah, I don't think God's going to do that." You don't want to be around the person that sits there and goes, "Well, yeah. Uh, no, I don't think. I don't I I I I just don't think that's what God does." God will do what God does you know and people will talk about various different things and so on and so forth look God is not pigeonholed into man's thinking nor is he is he put in a box by what man's quote unquote feelings about him are. God operates outside of that so if God wants to do something God can do something. He made the sun stand still twice. I I want you to think about the concept of that. If you're a flat earther, you can turn the rest of this out. (coughs) You realize what it would take to have the sun stand still in the sky? The earth stops what? It stops spinning, it stops rotating, it just stops. Now, now, now that, that's kind of important in the realm of gravity, isn't it? But God supersedes that. And if God wants everything to stay where it's going to stay without floating away, He can do that. Nothing is too small for our God to do. And nothing is too big for Him to do. So when we, we again the scorner is the one that looks at that and goes, eh. They discount and diminish the word of God. Something that he specifically warned the nation of Israel, don't do. Don't diminish the law. Don't diminish my word, is what he says. So here we find this guy that's the doer of it, and he's being blessed in his deed. And it's all of these things. But in verse 26, he, he makes it clear that this is not something that you fake. There's a lot of people that feign things, fake things in life. Yeah. There's a lot of people that that, that, that that make stuff up. And here he says, look, if there's going to be somebody here that seems to be religious. Now, I'm going to stop there just to mention this for a moment. You say the word religion, and it's like a bad word nowadays. It's like saying you, you walk into the lunchroom at the office and say, "Who wants to discuss politics?" You're liable to get a tuna face or t- tuna sandwich slammed in your face, depending on who, what side of the fence you're on, right? Or it's either going to be a tuna fish sandwich or it's going to be a vegan sandwich. One or the other. (laughs) But you're going to get hit with something. But the, but the concept is, is it's like you don't talk about religion today. Nobody wants to talk about religion because all religion is evil. And and I've heard and I've even said things of the nature of religion is responsible for sending a lot of people to hell. Mm -hmm. But let's clarify that. We're talking about the false kind of religion over in the book of Galatians. You know what he calls Jewish law, Judaism, the Jews religion, not God's religion, the Jews religion. And here he clarifies this. So he's saying, look, I want you to be religious. I want you to be religious. When we think of religious activity, we think of something that is done in a strict order, in a strict mandate, done religiously every single day. You get up in the morning, the first thing you do is you brush your teeth. You do this, you do that, you do this, you do that, you do this, you do that, and then you you know, move about the rest of the day. But there's all these things that you do with, if you will, a religiousness about it. Well, what God wants when you start talking about religion is he wants you to have a pattern of where you are doing things that not because you're doing it on automatic, but you're doing it because you want to do it when God tells you to do it. That it's just the response. God says, do this. And your automatic response is, "Mm, let me think about it. No. That's not the automatic response. The automatic response is where What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Who will go for us? Here am I send me Amos He goes over there and he he he, he preaches uh to 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 the people in, in um the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, and they're like, "Go preach that to you know Judah and Benjamin. Don't preach that up here. We don't need that. And what did he respond with? He said, look, I was just a herdsman and a picker of sycamore fruit. And God told me to go deliver this message. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to some theological, you know, uh, uh, doctorate school. He didn't have D.D. and Ph.D. and M.D. and everything else behind his name. You know, he didn't have any of that. No, he just had herdsmen. Pick her a fruit. <laughs> That's it. And God has him deliver a very powerful message of judgment to come. Way before the judgment ever showed up. Way before the judgment ever showed up. At the beginning part of when that kingdom first formed. That's an interesting thing to think about with Amos. But here... You know, he, he he's saying, look, you, you, you want to have that religiousness about you. You want to do things. And specifically, when he talks about what that pure religion is, it's going to be something that he says here is not done, if you will, haste. It's not done in haste. We're swift to hear and we're slow to speak, slow to wrath. And as he says here, Bridle your tongue. God's expectation of somebody that is religious isn't about being pious. Isn't about self-glorification. It's about somebody that can control their tongue. That can control their tongue. And a person that sits there and tries to act religious but can't control what they say Again, we run into the deceitful spirit that lies within them. They're deceiving their own heart, as he says here. And that person's religion is vain. It's worthless. It doesn't do anything. But what does do something, as he talks about here, is this uh, pure religion And undefiled, you should underline that, pure and undefiled. Pure and undefiled, according to God, is what? Visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. When somebody's going through it and they've already had a tough time, you need to be there for them. You need to be there for them. And I'm not talking about the one that gets to stand there and say, I told you so. Or the one that sits there and throws the stumbling block. Or the one that stands there and wags the head. No, 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 no. We're talking about, what is that? Visiting them for comfort. Visiting them for edification. When they're going through it, what do you do? You're there with them. You're there with them. But sometimes people just want to stop there. And they only want to do, quote unquote, the social aspect of it. But it's not just about social. It's about spiritual. Because you can't do the first if you're spotted by the world. Because the world will influence you to do it for the wrong reason. And you just made your entire action vain and fruitless. Something that'll go up like wood, hay, and stubble in a fire. And burn like that. That's vain. That's vain. So as God's talking about this here, he says, I I want you to, I I want you to keep that religion pure and undefiled you keep it pure and undefiled by yourself not being spotted and by simply having care and compassion on some other people just have care and compassion on other people now this becomes very important because as we move into chapter 2 he starts talking about the m word do you all know what the m word is mercy Mercy is something that a lot of people really don't have in this day and age. And I'm talking about believers. Yeah. We have been given so much mercy and so much grace. Just by the very fact that we, that we're saved. Okay just by the very fact that we have forgiveness of sins, just by the very fact that we have eternal life, that right there is enough to fill our cup and then a few thousand more. But God's mercy doesn't stop there. The Bible says (laughs) in Lamentations, his mercies are new every morning. Now, when we think about that, they need to be new every morning. But this is a pattern that God is setting for us to follow. Now, God wants us to be godly, right? He wants us to be godly and have godliness. So if we're going to have godliness, then that means we mirror what God does. Now, obviously, we can't do everything God does because we're not God. But we sure can follow those principles and do what he does and follow after it. So if he executes mercy we should be willing to execute mercy. If he says, I want, I'm i going to always do what is right, I'm going to have righteousness, we should always do what is right, and we should have righteousness. We know we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We need to actually act like it and do it. Because here we are into chapter 2 here, and we read the first verse, and we're going to read a couple of these verses, and I know we're running out of time. But here he he begins, if you will, with with an offense that is being caused by these believers because of influence. And the influence is the respecter of persons. Verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, My brethren, have not faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. Means that faith isn't supposed to be respect, isn't supposed to be infected with bias. Your faith should not be determined by man's if you will partiality it shouldn't be influenced that way your faith needs to be based solely off of what God says now if you notice I, I kind of emphasize there that little uh, that little phrase the Lord of glory if you're an underliner underline that double. Why? Because it should be done for the glory of God. Faith that is done with respect to a person and who that person is, is being done without God's glory. Everything we do should be for the glory of God. If you cannot give glory to God for what you're doing, then you ought not do it. If God isn't getting glory out of it, don't do it. Don't do it. You can't get glory for God by robbing a bank. Now, he can use it for his glory later on. That's up to him. He can choose and do that however he wants, okay? But everything that we're supposed to be doing is supposed to be for his glory, to please him, for his honor, for his praise, we keep that mentality, we keep that mindset, we're going to be doing fine. And here he makes it very clear that our faith shouldn't be influenced by man, shouldn't be influenced by who, 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 who who's there, who's around us when we're exercising our faith. That's an important thing. Because look, Elihu pointed out to Job that his faith was going to be examined by the people that were surrounding him. Not only his friends, but Eli also brings it up and says, hey, you know what? All these people that you've helped, all these people that you've done good for, all these people that look at you and, and if you will, revere you as a man of God and 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 see what how God describes you perfect, upright, and eschewing evil, remember, they're all watching you, Job. Right. And they're going to watch you through this tribulation, and they're going to watch how you respond, and they're going to watch and see if you fall, and they're going to watch and see if you curse God. Job never did, so keep this in mind when God tells you to do something and you hear it and you do it, somebody else is going to be watching it. Yeah. Always keep that in mind, so when you exercise your faith, it should not be done with the respecter of persons. He covers this in in, in verse two where he says, "For if there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel." And there come also a poor man in vile raiment, and have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, (coughs) excuse me, sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and become judges of evil thoughts? So he starts going on and he's gonna, we'll see this as we continue on next week. He gets into this and he starts calling this, calling this sin, which it is. Because it's not being done by faith of God. It's not being done by faith in Christ. It's being done by, if you will, a partial faith that is based off of how you're viewing other people around you. It's good to offer somebody else a seat, but it's wrong to offer somebody in a preferred manner. Now, God makes it very clear here, and he makes it clear in Scripture, and we'll see this. He says, I don't want you respecting the rich, and I don't want you respecting the poor. Now, God God fights the cause of the poor frequently, and we find that throughout Scripture. Because not a lot of people stand up for them. Because man is partial. They, they do favor the man in the gay clothing. And when we talk about gay, we're not talking about that other kind of stuff, okay? He just doesn't understand that. You know, again, there's the English language being desecrated. But the end result is, is that, you know, he says, look, you're gonna take a look at somebody based on and off of what they're wearing and whether or not they're gonna be preferred or not. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this personal illustration. And then we'll, we'll, we'll close here because we're out of time. Uh, I was at a church one time and, uh, it was a church that was in a, uh, in, at the time in a very rural area, uh, of a, of a city. It was a smaller city, but the outside of the outskirts that was all a lot of rural farmland. And, uh, there was a lot of people out there. They were, uh, uh a lot of them were pig farmers. And um pigs are not known to be the cleanest animals in the world. Um they're just downright filthy. Uh God talks about that in scripture. And um this guy comes to this church and hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's dirty, and he's filthy. He just got done taking care of his pigs and he comes in and he's just like oh man he 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 feels the conviction and he 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 gets he gets right and uh the woman that he was with he brings her and she gets right but they're both pig farmers and they they start changing they start changing but it takes a while But I'll tell you this, it's interesting to watch how a church responds to somebody like that. Because I saw people walk away from them and not want to shake their hands. I saw people look at them and just kind of do the, and walk away. With my own eyes. That's wrong. Well, they'll go shake the guy that's over there, you know, looking all nice in his fancy Armani suit and everything. They won't shake that guy's hand? There's something wrong with that. Something wrong with that. Another kind of, if you will, mindset there was a CEO of a company that um, that I worked for, and uh, he he was known for being one of these guys that is all about the gay clothing. Okay, you know he was he was so obsessed with stuff it was it was ridiculous. He he actually at, at one point in time um, canceled a. Board meeting because the alarm at his house was going off and he thought his Lamborghini was being stolen. That didn't go over with the board very well, by the way. But this guy, he, he, he had a way of demeaning people because he was a respecter of persons. And this one guy walked in, he's one of these, I mean, just, you know, you know the guy he he's just a go getter he's just he you know he's he's a people pleaser he's a, he he he's a yes man he's just all about that you know he's trying to climb the corporate ladder and so on and so forth and uh, he gets in this uh this um uh elevator and uh, he's in this elevator with another employee and in comes the ceo using the same elevator and this guy, he's, you know, climbing the corporate ladder. He's all like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's all excited because here's the CEO of the company. He's like, sticks out his hand. He goes, how are you doing, Mr. Such-and-such? And he goes, great day today, right? And the, And this is what the CEO did. He just kind of turned his head, looked up, looked down, sneered, and then looked back at the door. Respecter of persons. He didn't fit his style. In no way, share, perform is that to be part of who we are in the body of Christ. Because look, we're going to run into some people that aren't going to fit the image. Okay. Because if, we, and, and I heard a pastor say this. If we're doing our job and we're telling people about Jesus Christ, then the next generation of pastors are going to have tattoos on their faces and holes in their face where they have the piercings. If we're doing our job, telling people about Jesus Christ. but if that man loves up there and he loves God and he's preaching the word of God, I don't care what his face looks like. Do we really care? Or are we that concerned? We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be. And what this causes is it causes a mentality for us to move into a religiosity that is vain. Moving into a thought process that is not based upon the faith of Christ. Remember what the Pharisees said about Jesus, the accusation? He eats with sinners. Praise God. Because I was one one time. (laughs) Praise God. I mean, you know, that's an important thing, that he would come to sinners. When he came to their houses, though, things changed. Things were different. Let's go take a look at Zacchaeus. Way past time. Sorry to keep you late, but let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for the time. Thank you again, Lord, just for an opportunity to get into your word and, Lord, to to really just get into this idea and the concept that you have put here before us of how we live our Christian life and uh, what influences and what affects us. And Lord, I pray that we as believers would understand the principles that as we read this passage and as we think about it and meditate on it, that Lord, we would not be the individuals that would be influenced by the physical things, but Lord, we'd be influenced by you and your word that would make the impact in our lives, that we would be witnesses to everyone, both believers and unbelievers, to to be uh um Individuals that speak of your glory to to everyone, regardless of who it is, but to anybody that would listen. Thank you again, Lord, for those that are here tonight. Pray you take us home safely. And these things I ask in your son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.